This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Welcome to The Views Room, a weekly podcast brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, coming to you this week from Connecticut in the USA. Well, we've had lots of glimmers of hope in the efforts to produce vaccines against COVID-19. This week, Moderna said its vaccine was 94.5% effective in preventing the virus based on interim data from a large late-stage trial. Not to be outdone, Pfizer and its German partner BioNTech said their vaccine, which had propelled markets the week before into a bit of a frenzy, was 95% effective. Pfizer's vaccine also appears safe enough to apply for emergency approval within days. In fact, it could be on the market in a matter of weeks. Both of these are astonishingly good results, but as you'll hear from my chat with Rob Siren and Amy Donnellan, our columnists on the Pharma Beat, there's actually a bit more to come. After that, I hand the mic over to Jeff Goldfarb and Robin Asia to give us an update on the travails of Sinovac, a Chinese biotech firm whose vaccine tests were showing promising signs before hitting a snag earlier this month. But as they point out, the Chinese company's shareholders can only sit by and watch as an epic saga unfolds featuring a buyout attempt, a boardroom coup, and a rarely triggered poison pill. Give a listen. Okay, so we're going to talk vaccines. I've got Rob Searin in uh, Westchester County, New York, and I think we have Amy Donnellan in Clare County in the west of Ireland. Let's start with you, Rob. This week we had a couple of updates. Uh, so we had uh, most recently Pfizer coming out with a with a bit more granularity on the efficacy of its COVID-19 vaccine, which followed just by a couple of days Moderna coming out with uh, with its results for its, uh, is it a phase three trial? Um, That's right. right, so so talk, what, these, were, these were pretty encouraging. Markets like them, yeah, they're, humans they're, like they're amazing. These, these are amazing results for several things. Uh, first off, they seem highly effective, uh, 95% in both the studies. You can't c- compare them directly because they're not head-to-head trials. But, you know, if, if if it looks like they're 95% effective, that's extraordinary for a vaccine. I mean, most childhood vaccines are in the 90%. A flu vaccine is only about 50%. So these are these are very good results. And, um, the, you know, there's, there's some differences between them. Um, for instance, uh, Moderna came out on Monday and they said, you know, it, it works really well. They said all the serious cases of COVID were in uh, people who received the placebo. That's great. Um, and they also said that the big thing was they said that their vaccine, you can just store it in a regular freezer or a regular fridge and you can, it's got a long shelf, a relatively long shelf life. Pfizer came out on Wednesday. They said, you know, Hey, our vaccine's just as good. Um, pretty much. It looks just as good. 95%. Um, they said, because they had come out a week before and had this give, gave the markets an additional boost of euphoria because all of a sudden there's light at the end of the tunnel. But but of course, they were saying it was over 90% effective. Now they've come up and said it's what, 94 95%. And they also said it's 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 um, just about as effective, about 90, 
over 94% effective in elderly people. And that's a big concern because, you know, they're the people who die most often from COVID. And also they tend to have, they tend to not, um, vaccines tend not to work as well in older people. Um, and, you know, if you, if you step back and look at this, you say, okay, so you've got these two companies with these vaccines. What does that mean? It means we've got, like you say, the end of the, the pandemic is in sight. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Amy, you've been looking at it from the European, a lot of the European pharma companies. There, uh, we'll go, we'll, we'll go back and discuss actually the, the sort of technology, if you will, which is a little different. But what, what are, what are, how is this being sort of seen in Europe, where you've got all like the AstraZenecas and everybody else working on variations of a, of a, of a vaccine? Sure. I mean, the governments in Europe have also put in, you know, these pre-orders for Pfizer and Moderna, like they did with the, the European vaccines like AstraZeneca. So they're taking this as a really encouraging sign as well. Um, some countries are talking about how they would be able to actually vaccinate their elderly populations and medical staff kind of in the first quarter of uh, next year, which would obviously be very positive. Um, but I suppose for, for Europe, the, the kind of one that most people are focusing on is AstraZeneca. Uh, and they're talking about um, having the kind of phase three results, the kind of results we saw from Pfizer and Moderna by Christmas. Uh, they've been kind of delayed or put kind of a few rungs in the in the queue um, because they had obviously those illnesses during their trials. Right, um, they had to stop the trials for, for a period, yeah. right? Yeah, so it was really kind of the uh, the FDA in America that was kind of holding things up. They had to gain approval from them to to restart. So they have restarted and um, they're saying, as they said today, actually, that they were seeing some very kind of positive results from the elderly people who have tried their their vaccine in the in the trial. So, um, yeah, that would be the big one. Sanofi is the is obviously the French company that are also using a vaccine. But again, they're they're a little bit more delayed um, than Pfizer and Moderna. And they're actually in a phase two trial at the moment. Um, and they would hope to move on to phase three by the end of the year. Right, right. And uh, Rob, there's a sort of difference in some of the, the the technology, as it were. I mean, the the Moderna and and I believe the Pfizer uh, uh, vaccines are based on this thing called messenger RNA. Right. Explain what that is a little bit. And so what what that is. So I think everyone knows what DNA is. It's basically like the code book uh, for making an organism. And what mRNA does is it takes information from the DNA and it tells cells to make proteins. Um, and so what these vaccines are is basically it's is digitalizing a vaccine. So you take the information, um, for instance, in this case, you, they had um, earlier in the year, they, when this when people first became aware of COVID, they sequenced it and figured out, okay, these are, this is what this is the genetic sequence of COVID. And what these companies did, these two mRNA companies, is they took part of the information, and they made it so that the body can recreate a little tiny bit of the vac of the, the virus in human cells. And what that does is it, it, it the body says, "What's this thing doing here? This this virus, I don't like it." And they mount an immune response. And so what you're doing is you're basically telling you're you're basically telling the body to um, produce a vaccine in itself. Right, and and that, and the European versions or the ones you talked about, the AstraZeneca, Sanofi are using. Uh, Amy, a different technology, a different approach. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the one um, AstraZeneca is working with the University of Oxford and they're using something called an adenovirus. So it's basically a weakened version, <clears throat> excuse me, of the common cold. 
and then it's been modified so it can't grow in humans. So again, it's kind of a new kind of technology that they're using to do that as well. And when they did have those illnesses in the in the um, candidates that they were trialing, um, most people said that it was the most likely to have a very kind of uh, big reaction uh, because it was using this kind of unusual uh, virus that it was putting into the body. Um, and exactly similarly to the uh, ones that Rob was talking about, the whole point is that your then immune system mounts a response, but it may mount a response, obviously, that means that, you know, you get a fever, you feel very unwell. Um, AstraZeneca hasn't given much information as to the people that obviously did did fall ill. And that was one of the uh, benefits or, or the things you pointed out, uh, Rob, in a, a quick piece about the, the update on the Pfizer numbers, which is that they don't seem to have an incident, high incidence of side of sort of un, unwelcome side effects. Yeah, the side effect profile seems really low. Um, there was a, a, the only things that were regarded as serious was fatigue and and, and you know small fever, um, and that that's really good. I mean, you have to you have to be cautious though because in a vaccine you're giving it to you know a billion people, you can get some things you don't see if you you know give it to you know a few you know tens of thousands of people. Um, so, the, you know, but it appears it appears relatively safe. Um, and the other thing about the technology, I don't know if we talked about this, is just how fast it is. It, it's amazing that this came out in less than a year from the time we first were aware of this, you know, this virus to getting a vaccine for it. Vaccines typically take a decade um, or not more. Um, so to get one out in an effective vaccine, effective and safe vaccine under a year is, is just mind-boggling i mean it took yeah when people keep looking at um you know jonas salk and the the vaccine for polio took decade it, more than that i think it, it took so you look at you look at some of these um examples and i mean what 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 does that tell us about just i don't know is it just the world we're in things are compressed like everything one argues you know everything innovation is quicker it's a bit of both. Um, I mean, you know, the world threw its entire resources at this thing. <laughs> so, and, you know, regulators are are stepping back and, and, you know, they're going to be, you know, bending over backward to get something, if, if, it, if they regard it as safe, onto the market as soon as possible. I mean, we should, the, mar the Pfizer vaccine should be on the market within a couple of weeks, two weeks or so. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, some of it can be replicated because it's technology. Like I said, you know, this the idea of putting in mRNA and and into people and having a vaccine. It it's obviously works now, and you can use this for a lot of other things. And because it's so fast, it'll have advantages over other vaccines. Like like I was saying that the the flu is vaccine is only about fifty percent effective, and that's because people have to guess what strains are going to be common in the world in a year because the flu changes, and a lot can change over that time. It's like being a fashion editor. You know, you look and you try to figure out, okay, what's going to be the fashion a year from now? You can get it really wrong. Um, with these, with the mRNA vaccines, it's a lot faster than that. So you can cut that window where you have to guess what's going to be common next year. And that should mean the vaccines are more effective. Now, it's funny, if you think to look at this in the stock market, it's quite interesting. So Pfizer shares year to date are flat basically. Mm -hmm. uh, AstraZeneca shares up modestly, like 6% year to date. Um, you know, why isn't this translating, guys, into stock market? I don't know. There, there is exuberance in the stock market. I mean, it, the idea that we're all going to get out of this thing by whatever middle of or end of next year. You saw the airlines, you saw all the sort of sent, anything travel sensitive. You saw they all spiked. You've seen 
those that the work from home portfolio go down, the likes of Zoom and that kind of thing. Why why aren't we seeing why isn't Pfizer, for instance, getting a big boost on this? Well, partly it's because some of the com- several of the companies said they don't want to make money off of this. Um, J and J, for instance, said, uh, you know, during the pandemic, um, we're not going to we're going to price this basically at cost. Mm. And because there's so many vaccines, I mean, there are uh, over 40 in clinical trials. We're going to have overcapacity, um, we probably pretty soon. And what that means is that pricing will come under pressure. Um, and then the other thing is you were saying, you're mentioning like Pfizer, you know, they haven't really gone up, but but some of the companies, the sub companies like PurePlays, like Moderna, uh, BioNTech, um, CureVac, those are the mRNA companies. They've gone, they've done very, very well this year. Um, the three of them combined are worth about, you know, uh, about 70 billion. And these three companies basically didn't exist uh, a decade ago. So it's pretty well, good. I look at Moderna, Moderna is a sort of an exception. So they, you know, if you look year to date, the stock is like more than tripled. Yeah. I, I think, Rob, as well, what is interesting as well is to see that when the Moderna um, news came out, Pfizer's share price went down. Um, and that was a lot of people took that to mean that Moderna's uh, vaccine didn't require the same kind of like sub-zero temperatures to store. And I think you might start to see things like that happening in the market that um, as more of these uh, as more of these vaccines come out, uh, the ones that are easier to to make that can make many more doses, they may get a bit of a benefit uh, versus the others. Right. So we'll start to see that that in the mark the, the market actually sort of distinguishing between what is going to be the better vaccine. Um, yeah. But the but the broader market, of course, is saying we just love the idea of a vaccine. Um, it'll be down to each of these each of these vaccines will determine whether the the makers of those vaccines or or innovators are getting the benefit of it. I guess one last question, um, Rob. You wrote that this is actually uh, the Moderna one in particular was a boon for the emerging markets as well. Mm-hmm. What what did you mean by that? Well, what I meant was that, um, like you said, you know, the the broader market is being hurt. I mean, everyone is staying at home, and and the com- the situation is pretty bad in emerging markets because these com- these countries are um, they've got poor health systems. Um, they've got you know they they tend to be their economies tend to be dependent on exports. Um, so you know if the developing wor- if the developed world catches a cold, they catch the flu, um, and. You know these countries just are are poor, and they can't really afford to spend a ton of money on a vaccine, even if the vaccine's benefits are huge for the economy. If you've got overcapacity in the market, and it's clear we do, I mean, like the U.S. has, you all pretty much all the developed nations have uh, contracted for more vaccines than their population. A lot of this is beginning to be given away, or you know, sold at low cost to the developing nations, and that's a big benefit for their economy. Uh, Canada, I think, just came out and said that they're they're going to donate their excess supply of vaccines to the developing world. So you know that's great news for, you know, countries in Africa, uh, Southern America, and, and parts of Asia. Right, right, right. So, and I guess finally, Amy, should we be? What about the Sputnik Five, the Russian vaccine? <laughs> Are you going to take that? Is that being distributed in County Clare yet? I mean, this is a really interesting topic, I think, because we know so little about them and there have been resignations over them and and China has its own vaccine as well. Um, I think, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, that that's a key question is who's going to take any of these vaccines? I mean, the, the polling data out there does not show that people 
like taking vaccines. Uh, so I think that probably the next step is going to be a massive education process for the public uh, yeah. to encourage people to take them. I was uh, yesterday anecdotally was talking to a, a Trump supporter here here in Connecticut um, who was saying he wasn't going to take, you know, wouldn't take the vaccine. So like, there's a lot of, there are these skeptics. Now, of course, this is a person who's made sure their children are up to date on the MMR and everything. I just, there, there is this sort of strange distrust that we have. Um, I don't know how that's going to be a difficult thing to get through, no, Amy? Yeah, and I think it speaks to to what Rob's saying as well about the speed at which these vaccines have been created. I think that has made people maybe a little bit more nervous than they would be about other vaccines that have been around for a very long time. And as you said, took years, if not decades, to to create and and distribute throughout the world. Yeah. All right. Well, look, guys, uh, we'll be back with you guys both more, I'm sure, as these vaccines, uh, more vaccines come out. And thanks for your time. Great. Thanks. You're welcome. Bye. Hi, I'm uh, Jeff Goldfarb, Asia-Pacific Editor for Breaking Views, and I'm here with Robin Mack, um, who's in Hong Kong. And Robin, obviously there's been just so much vaccine news swirling around, and amid it all, there's a super interesting company, this Chinese company, Sinovac, that you've dug into. And why don't you start by just telling us what this company is before we get into the crazy story that it has become. Sure, Jeff. So Sinovac is sort of one of China's leading uh, candidates for developing a coronavirus vaccine. So in the past week, we've seen some very promising results from Pfizer and Moderna, but actually Sinovac, they are actually quite far along as well. Um, Just a few days ago, they released uh, some preliminary data from some of their earlier clinical stage trials, and it looks quite promising. Um, So one of Sinovac's main advantages over their rivals is that uh, their vaccines claim to be only, you only need to store them in normal refrigerators rather than uh, super cold storage that, you know, Moderna and Pfizer says their vaccines need to be stored in. So for developing countries, that's a huge advantage to have. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely like a big thing. And, and as you say, their, their news has a little bit been a little bit overshadowed by, by some of the other news. They're doing these tests in Brazil, and it's been like this really strange roller coaster ride because they got some bad news uh, from Brazil. There was, a, there was a hitch in one of the tests, and then there was some good news that came on the bat. Like, it turned out to be not as bad as they thought. So where, where do things stand as of now? I mean, it seems like everything is progressing slowly, even in Brazil. They do have the ongoing trials in Indonesia. In China, they are part of Beijing's national emergency vaccine program. So actually, a lot of their uh, vaccines, the experimental ones, are already being used uh, and deployed to frontline medical workers. Even Sinovac's own employees and their families have opted to inoculate themselves uh, using Sinovac's vaccine. So in China, they've actually deployed their vaccines quite broadly. Yeah, they've, they've moved ahead of some others. But obviously, as thrilling as some of these developments are for the company, there is this just crazy backdrop going on. I mean, while all these other um, shares have been, shares in biotech companies have been like like all over the place, you know, gaining market value with the excitement of the development, Sinovax have not gone anywhere. And that's because... Their shares have been frozen for a long time. 
Why don't you sort of give us the, a little bit of the explanation of why that happened? That's right, Jeff. So Sinovax is listed in, in New York, uh, but their shares have actually been frozen since February of 2019. So that's you know well before coronavirus and the COVID-19 pandemic hit. And a lot of it has to do with this multi-year ongoing, really totally crazy <laughs> corporate saga that this company has been embroiled in. Um, so back in 2018, there was a proxy battle between the company CEO and management um, and, a pair, and a, a group of shareholders. It started, with, right? it started even before that, it started with like a buyout, right? Like so yes. the, the CEO wanted so, to just take the company private, which we've seen a lot of with Chinese yes. companies. Nothing particularly unusual about that. But then yeah, one of his so, own like henchmen, one of his own deputies sort of launched a counter bid. Right? Yeah, okay. So okay. So going <laughs> even further back, so 2016, there was a there were two competing uh buyout bids. Okay. So one from the CEO and the other, surprisingly, from one of Sinovac's joint venture partners in China. So that was already quite odd. So the two competing buyouts really set the scene for the shareholder general meeting in 2018. Uh, which actually turned into a very last-minute proxy battle between, you know, the CEO and another group of shareholders, which actually does include the joint venture partner. Right. So the uh, dissenting shareholders actually claimed victory. Uh, the management said, "No, we don't accept these results," and I can go into why <laughs> later right, on. Right. And so actually, the so management triggered a poison pill, which is right, really, so this really is rare. Right. So for all of our M&A nerd friends listening, like this is the poison pill is sort of this defense tactic that gets used all the time in terms of sort of the threat of it, which is the idea that you flood the market with shares. If, you know, it enables a company to flood the market with shares, diluting existing owners, kind of heads off a lot of things. Usually it's a negotiating tactic um, and a defense mechanism. Here they actually triggered it. Like they actually said, boom, like we're going to release all these shares into the market. And and now we're, so then that took the fight to the next level. Yes. So, okay. So the reason why <laughs> the management and the CEO disputed the results of the shareholder meeting vote, well, as triggered the poison pill, was that because it seemed that at that point, there was one shareholder that secretly and stealthily built up you know, quite a sizable stake in the company without the proper disclosures. So that was one of the, the, the big points of contention. Now, the SEC actually did investigate this, and they did agree with the company and the management that this was the case and find that particular shareholder, uh, which is an investment firm called One Globe Capital. So now the case is actually, it's sort of at a standstill because it's making its way through various courts, both in Delaware, where the shareholder rights contract is being litigated from, as well as in Antigua, where Sinovac is actually incorporated in. So, so listed in New York, yes. based in China, incorporated in Antigua, and fighting court cases in Delaware. It's yes. all pretty uh, And there, pretty there are actually other cases in Hong Kong, <laughs> Massachusetts, and elsewhere too, but those are the, the, the main jurisdictions. The main jurisdictions, right. right. So, so, I mean, so then you have, the, what's at issue is we don't know who controls the board, right? So one board has triggered this, you know, the existing management has, or, and, and directors have triggered this poison pill, 
but we're not really sure if they actually control the board and have the power to do that. There's this other competing group that won the proxy fight. Is that where do I have yes. that right? Yeah. And obviously they would not want to trigger the poison pill. Yeah. So it's not clear who controls the board, whether or not that poison pill was valid, and you know how even how many shares the company has outstanding and what the ownership structure is like, that's just being worked out through the courts right now. So everything is a mess on the corporate <laughs> governance side in Sinovac. But in the meantime, the company keeps progressing, obviously doing what it does, it's doing its research, but if there's this weird disconnect between, well, I mean, they, they obviously can't really capitalize on, uh, on it. It's amazing that the company's proceeding with trials to develop a vaccine when it when it doesn't even know who's really running the company. Yeah, it, it is It is a bit of a really odd situation. I mean, you know, having said that, this company, you know, they have been making vaccines, you know, for many years. This is what they do. So I guess to some respect, what's happening when the courts in Antigua and Delaware is a bit removed from sort of the vaccine making operations that are, you know, mostly in China. Do we have any sense of sort of when like when we might have a resolution or when the shares might actually trade? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it's been, I mean, it's been over a year. The court cases, who knows how long they'll take. I mean, I think the biggest issue is that, you know, you do have a lot of different jurisdictions. So that adds quite a lot of complexity to, right. you know, how the issue is resolved. You know, because this company is based in China, it's also subject to Chinese laws as well. So then because you have these very different legal jurisdictions, this will definitely take, you know, quite a long time to resolve itself in all through all the courts. Well, thanks a lot for talking us through that, Robin. Obviously it's a cautionary tale for other companies as well. I mean, not others may be less exciting than a vaccine developer, but there are obviously a lot of Chinese companies that have these sort of arcane structures and it's I guess it's a good warning um, for shareholders everywhere. Thanks again, Robin, and uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Jeff. That's our show for this week. Thanks to my guests and hats off to our producer, Sharon Lamb in Hong Kong and Amanda Gomez in New York. Our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast exchange on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. And check us out every day at breakingviews.com. And don't forget to tune in next week for another edition. Stay healthy. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.